you glad to be at church this morning? Man, it's good to see you. You give somebody a high five as you're grabbing a seat. Man, that was just, just a really beautiful time of worship. I just love our, our band, our worship band, our AVL team. I mean, they are, man, they're so good. I, I just, I just, uh, I, in my opinion, in, in almost five years of being in church, I think we got the best band and, uh, that, we've, that we've ever had. So, man, they're just incredible. Just love truly their heart of worship. It's not really the, the you know, uh, it's just the heart of worship. That's what it matters. That's what it's all about. And so that's, that's. That's what they're about. So, so excited about that. Hey, if you're new, welcome. Thank you so much for coming and being here today. My name is Brian. I'm the pastor. And at Pathway, our goal for you is simply this. We want to help you know God. Because we believe when you know God, it changes everything in your life. And really, we want to help you know God, which is a relationship with him, with, with Jesus. And we want to help you find family, which is uh, getting involved, get connected in relationships that are going to encourage you and support you and be there for you. And then we want to help you make Make a difference because life isn't just about you. It's about making a difference in other people. And the single greatest way you'll make a difference is by helping people around you to know God. And then it all starts over again. So, man, that's what we're excited about. And uh, just God's doing really amazing things right now at Pathway that we're excited about. Next week, super excited. It's Mother's Day next week. And we're excited about that for all the ladies, and again, whether whether you have biological or adopted or, you know, just kind of a special grandma, aunt, whatever. Listen, if you're a lady at Pathway, you're a mom at Pathway as well, and we really, really mean that. And uh, so we just want to honor all the ladies next week. My wife, Pastor Crandall, will be speaking. We're excited about that. We're doing child dedications and really excited about that as well. It's going to be just a really amazing time, and, and you really will want to be here, and it's just going to be great. Looking forward to that. And, and then after that, we're going to talk about, for one Sunday, we're going to talk about, uh, we do this every year in May. We, we spend at least one Sunday talking about end time events. And so we do this every year around May. We'll take a Sunday and just talk about how will the world end, what will that be like, and what what is heaven like, what is hell like, what is the return of Jesus like. And so, man, we encourage you, the next two weeks you definitely don't want to miss. It's, it's going to be really, really good. And we're glad you're here today. You picked a great day because we're kind of concluding our series that we've done all April long on Matthew. And if you don't know, Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. The Bible has New and Old Testament, and the, the first book of the New Testament is Matthew. It's called Matthew because he's the guy that wrote it. Matthew was an, a hand-picked eyewitness follower of Jesus, and so Matthew writes down a lot of what Jesus said and did. And so we've been looking, again, there's 28 chapters, and, and it would take us 28 Sundays just to go through each chapter. Maybe sometime we will do that. But uh, so for now, we've been really kind of looking at the highlight reel and then diving deep on each Sunday. We talked about Jesus' birth, and then, then we talked about his death and resurrection. Last week, we talked about the very beginning of his most famous sermon called the Sermon on the Mount or Sermon on the Mountain. And, and we looked at the eight characteristics right off the bat that Jesus tells us. Hey, look, if you're going to consider yourself to be my follower, then these are my values. And so you need these eight things in your life. And we talked about what those are. They're called Beatitudes, if you want to look it up. But we talked about those the way that God blesses us. If you've ever wondered how God blesses people, man, last week was that. And we looked at that. And then today, I'm really excited because today is uh, really, I think, unarguably the most famous 
uh, miracle that Jesus ever performed outside of his death and resurrection, the most famous miracle Jesus ever performed, and this is not just my opinion. Actually, this is the opinion of the Bible because there's four accounts of the life of Jesus in the Bible. They're called the Gospels, and they're, they're named after the men that wrote them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And uh, so all four accounts have the life of Jesus, and some of them will kind of copy each other, and, and they'll have similar stories. But what we're about to look at today is the only story, the only miracle that is recorded in all four of the accounts of the life of Jesus. In fact, not even all of his teachings are recorded in all four. Some will get this and some will get that. This is the only miracle that's recorded in all four. So therefore, it tells me this, that this singular miracle made such a mind-blowing impression on the people that were there that day that they could not forget it. They remembered that of all the miracles of casting out demons and raising people from the dead, even walking on water that Jesus did, this in their mind stood out so much that all four of them were like, yeah, I really remember that. I got to write that down so generations from now will remember that. And so I'm really, really excited about that. So let's check this out together. In Matthew chapter 14, verse 13. As soon as Jesus heard the news, he left in a boat to a remote area to be alone. But the crowds heard where he was headed and followed on foot from many towns. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. That evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so that they can go to the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, that isn't necessary. You feed them. But we only have five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here, he said. Then he told the people to sit down on the grass. Jesus took the five loaves and two fish and looked up toward heaven and blessed them. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he gave the bread to the disciples who distributed it to the people. They all ate as much as they wanted. And afterward, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. About 5,000 men were fed that day in addition to all the women and children. Now, what's remarkable about that that we understand is it says at the end, 5,000 men, they're only counting men. So we're going to assume, and I think it's pretty safe to assume, that those 5,000 men probably had wives. And so now we're at easily 10,000. And then they had children, and, and back in that day, they didn't just have one or two kids. They would have as many kids as they could. So it wasn't uncommon for a family to have at least five kids or, or more. And so I think, I think even conservatively, you could say there were between 25 and, and even north of 30,000 people that were fed that day on five small loaves and two fish. Now, here's what you need to know. The, the loaves are not like a loaf of bread. There's a difference. In America, we have a loaf of bread. And we're like, well, that's still a miracle. But, I mean, a loaf is big. No, no, no. In that day, what they're talking about, a loaf of bread, was about four inches in diameter and about a half an inch thick. So it would be like a small tortilla that's kind of thicker. That's, that's, that's the idea. And these are not massive fish. These are small fish. They're not very big. And this was, another account tells us, a little boy's meal. And most likely, it wasn't just his lunch for the day. It was most likely his food for the entire day. If not, his food for really maybe the next couple of days or his food for his whole family. I mean, in that day, they're all poor. This is in the Sea of Galilee. This is northern Israel. 
And I've been there. It's a beautiful, peaceful place, but they're all poor in that time. And so for five loaves of bread, it was meant to last for several days and if not be eaten by the rest of his family and the two fish. Now, now some of you have been around Pathway a while. You know how much I, I cannot stand seafood. If I was there that day, I'd be like, Jesus, I'll just fast this meal. I'm good. I'm good. We'll fast. I'll just be over here praying. You do the miracle. I'll eat the bread or whatever. I'm a fast. This fish is disgusting. You know, thank you. Uh, but, but he takes that and he multiplies it. And it's an amazing, amazing thing. The other thing, this is a quick side note. This isn't part of the message because this alone could be a whole message. But it's when it says at the very first verse, verse 13, that he went in a boat to go to the other side of the lake after he heard the news. If you read the section above that, the news that he just received was John, his cousin, who he was very close with. John, his cousin, had just had his head cut off by Herod, who was the, the political leader, the, the puppet king in that area. This broke Jesus' heart. He was weeping. He was, he was sad. He wanted to go away to mourn the loss of his close friend and his cousin, John. They were about six months apart in age, very close, probably grew up around each other. He wants to, I mean, you know what does if you lose someone that you love. You want some time to be alone. And it's amazing to me that, that as he is trying to be alone, the crowds are following him. And he says, you know what, I'm going to put off my need right now to be alone and to mourn and to grieve. And I will meet the needs of other people. And more than that, notice what Jesus does. He doesn't just meet their spiritual need. It says he taught them and healed their sick. All the spiritual needs that they had at that day were met at that moment by Jesus. But also, he doesn't just care about our spiritual need. He cares about our physical need because he gives them food to eat. And so it's both. We want to, at Pathway, we want to care about people's spiritual need, but also their physical need as well. But it's amazing to me that it tells me this. When God is in charge of the agenda of your day, what may seem like an interruption to other people is really a divine appointment for a miracle to impact thousands of people's lives. I'm so thankful that Jesus didn't say, no, 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 my need above yours. Jesus instead said, I'm going to put my need off because really the greater need is to ser serve you and to meet the needs that you people have. The thing that stands out to me the most, if I could just kind of in a big picture view, would be this. Do not limit an unlimited God. Don't limit an unlimited God. Now, what's fascinating is that the, that's what the disciples do. They, they don't focus on what they, they have. They focus on what they don't have. And if we're not careful, we can do the same thing when it comes to our relationship with God. We can, if we're not careful, focus that I don't have enough money, God. I don't have enough time. I don't have enough resources. And we begin to focus on what we don't have rather than who we have standing right next to us in prayer. And if we're not careful, that can be us. And, and we begin to panic. And that's my question to you. When trouble comes your way, do you begin to focus on how much money it costs and how much time it's going to take and what you don't have? Or do you begin to go away and pray and seek God and say, God, I am limited. I do not have the money or the time or the whatever. But, God, you are an unlimited God. And where I am limited, you are unlimited. And I'm going to tap into your resource. And so, God, would you make a way where there is no way? God, would you meet my I need because you're an unlimited God. 
that's, that's amazing. And, and before we beat the disciples up too much, I would have probably done the same thing. So would have you. If you're there and you see this 30,000 plus people and you have five small little loaves of bread and, and, and two little fish, you're going to think, no, there's no way. And we got to, this would have taken them eight months of their salary. So think about from January to August, every paycheck you get going to feed this crowd. That's how much it would have cost them, eight months wages to feed them. So they begin to think, we don't have the time to feed them. We don't have the money to feed them. We don't even have the food to feed them if we wanted to. Instead of saying, wait a minute, you're Jesus. You walk on what you can do anything. Jesus, hey, help us out. What should we do? So many times in our life, I think we're guilty of saying, well, I can't do it because of this, and I wish that I could do that because of this. And, and maybe if this would work out, I could. No, and instead of looking who's standing next to you in prayer, that's why prayer is so important is because we connect with an unlimited God where we are limited in our resources. At our house, we have what we call the candy bucket, and it's exactly what it sounds like because we're really creative with our names. It's literally a bucket, a small bucket full of candy, and so Halloween candy is still in there from six months ago because we don't care about health. Uh, there's, there's Christmas, there's candy canes in there. We got birthday stuff. We have Easter candy. It's the freshest right now, Easter candy, so you got to get that while it's good. And so every day after school, we let our kids pick one thing out of the candy bucket. I don't know why we do that. I don't know where it started. Don't judge us. They brush their teeth. We're all good. But what we just... They just pick the candy bucket every day after school. It's not even, hey, Dad. It's just, hey, can I get the candy bucket? Yeah. Now, my son is eight, and he's figured out we keep it up really high so they don't just gorge themselves. But, but my son has figured out that he can climb up to the top of the pantry, grab the candy bucket, bring it back down, get whatever he wants, and put it back up there. My daughter, who's six, has not quite figured that out yet, and she has a broken arm, and so her hand's in a cast. So she cannot climb up there. If she did, she'd probably break the other arm, and then we'd really be in trouble. So every day after school, the first thing I hear when she comes in is, Dad, can you get the candy bucket down for me? Now, here's the thing. Now, now what I do, I, I'm not annoyed by that. I'm not frustrated. Like, hey, I'm busy checking Instagram right now. Leave me alone, girl. I'm too busy doing that. No. It is my delight as a father to give my child candy and to spoil them and to bless them. I love doing that. I love to see the smile on her face. What's amazing, though, what she doesn't do, being six years old, she does not stand and look at me and say, well, the candy bucket's up here. I have a broken arm. I'm, I'm, I'm not whole. I'm incomplete. I can't make it. I guess I just won't get candy for a while. No, what she realizes at six years old is that, Yes, I have a broken arm, and I am limited, but my father is unlimited, and he can reach places that I can never reach. And so instead of projecting my limitations on my father, I know that my dad in this area is unlimited, and I'm going to tap into his unlimited resources so that he can attempt and reach things and get things for me that I could not get on my own. That's what prayer does. That's why it's important that you recognize that your father in heaven is unlimited, where you cannot do certain things. You pray and ask him, and he delights to give you the candy bucket of your prayer. He delights to answer prayer. He delights to meet your need. It fills his heart with joy. That's the attitude you have when it comes to God. Yes, God, I am limited. Yes, God, I am broken. 
Yes, I messed up. Yes, I can't do it. Yeah, I don't have enough. But God, my Father is unlimited. And you can reach places that I could never reach. You can make mountains become valleys and valleys become level. You can make crooked paths straight. God, you can bring water in the desert. You can meet a need where there's no other way to do it. That's why this matters. Don't you dare limit an unlimited God. Don't, and I'm afraid sometimes we do that. We project, maybe unintentionally, but we project our limitations onto our Father. And so where you think you're limited, if you're not careful, you think, well, I mean, there's just no way the money's not there. There's no way the time is. There's no way that this person will change. There's no way that I will change. And what you're doing, and I know you probably don't mean to do it on purpose, you're, you're putting your limitations onto God. Can I just tell you, you got to be careful doing that. Because you'll miss out time and time again on a miracle and on a blessing that God has for you. Instead, just like a little girl with a broken arm, I'm incomplete. I can't do it. I got some pain in my life. But my father can reach where I can't. You can meet needs. And God, I'm trusting in you. God, I'm seeking in you. Can you help me? Don't limit an unlimited God. Listen, I believe this. Sometimes God gives us a little so that we can learn to trust him a lot. Sometimes God purposely gives you a little, whatever it is, money or, or talent or whatever, he gives you a little so that you can learn to trust him a lot. Because if you had all that you needed right now, you wouldn't need to trust in God. You would instead trust in the money or trust in the relationship or trust in yourself. And, and, and there's elements where that's an okay thing. But when you begin to trust in those things over God, then those things are not God and they will let you down. So God says, I, I want you to learn to trust me. So I'm going to give you a little bit. When you can learn to trust me with a little bit, I'll give you even more next time. That's the attitude. That's why. And let, let's just say this. If God doesn't need more, why do you? It, it, we're like, well, God, I need more of this. And God says, I don't need more. Why do we? And, and I would say this. You don't need more of it. You need more of him. You don't need more of it. Whatever the it is in your life, whatever the stuff. God, if I had more of this, things would be great. No, 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 no. God, if I had more of you in my life. Remember what we said last week that Jesus said God blesses those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. What does that mean? Him. When you put him first above all things, he will give you everything else. That's the heart of it. Listen, that God, I, I, I want all of it, but I don't need it. What I need is all of you. So, God, change my heart and my mindset that, God, I, want, I need all of you. And the more I seek all of you, you're going to give me all of it. That's the God of the Bible. I would say this as well, why this matters. Because God multiplies what you give. He multiplies what I give. Don't limit an unlimited God. Why? Because he can multiply whatever it is that you give. I love that about this story. And notice this, there's, there's two things that stand out to me that he uses the disciples to perform the miracle. Now, if you read it closely, and, I, and we did in, our, in the time that we have, Jesus does not, it says he blesses it. Which, on a quick side note, I believe this, you need to bless your family on a daily basis. You need to bless your home. You bless your job. I mean, I do that all the time. I bless my family. I bless my kids every night. I bless my marriage. I, I, bless, I bless vehicles. Like, I just, I believe in that. I don't just bless the meat, let's eat. I bless everything that God has given me because it's from him, not from me. And so I just bless it. But notice this. That's all Jesus did. He blessed what the, the food that was there. And then he gave it to the disciples. And as the disciples began to participate, he began to multiply. 
I wonder sometimes if God is saying, I will begin multiplying when you begin participating. Maybe we're saying, oh, God, if you could do this, God, if you could do that. And God say, I will do that. You bet. But, hey, I need you to participate first. Like, you just take that first step of faith. Because, I mean, let's not deny it. The disciples probably in their minds are thinking, this is so illogical. You gave me one, one bread. I mean, there's 12 of us, and there's five. So 12 minus 7. I mean, I got a D in math, but it still doesn't add up. So, I mean, he probably had to break the bread apart, and they each had a small little crumb and, like, the, the scale of a fish, which, again, is disgusting. And he gives it to them, and, and they're like, this, this is going to last, like, one person, and then I'm going to be embarrassed. But yet they, they give it to this person, and then they, oh, wow, it, it's still there. And then they give it to, oh, it's still there, and they give it to that, and they just begin handing it out. And before they know it, 30, over 30,000 people have been fed. In other words, God wants to use you to be part of the miracle. He wants to use you to be his hands and his feet. That's the encouraging thing. God could do it. Jesus didn't just say, abracadabra, and there's food in everybody's hands. No, he wanted the disciples to hand it out. And notice what Jesus said quite clearly, you feed them. What he's saying is, I want you to be participating in that. I personally love that about God. God could do all the miracles all on his own. And at the end of the day, it is his miracles. But he wants to use me to be part of it. That gets me excited. That gets me pumped up that I can be part of the miracle that God is going to do to change somebody's life forever and meet their need. That's what we see here. Listen, Jesus wants to use you to be his hands and his feet. And he'll begin multiplying when you begin participating. Are you participating with whatever it is you're asking for? The other thing that stands out to me is this, that Jesus uses what is already available. Now think about that. Jesus, you know, they said, well, hey, we don't have enough money to pay. There's not enough food. We don't have enough money, and we don't have enough time. It's getting late. we got three problems. And Jesus doesn't say, well, that's true, guys. Let's go have a meeting, and let's have a committee, and let's discuss what we're going to do, and maybe we'll, you know. No, no, no. Jesus basically says, what do you have? I know what you don't have. Listen, some of us, are, are, are we, we, our prayer time is more about telling God what you don't have instead of Jesus looking at us saying, yeah, but what do you have? Like, let's stop praying, say, God, I don't have this, I don't have that. And Jesus is looking at you, yeah, but what do you have? And just give it to me, and I'll use it, and I'll multiply it in your life in ways you could never dream of. That's what I love about this story. That's why all, all four of the writers of the Bible, the, the Gospels wrote it down. It's remarkable. Listen, in our prayer, do we spend our time, we don't have this, we don't have, I wish I had that. No, Jesus is looking right back and saying, yeah, but what do you have? And I just, quick, quick side note theology lesson here. If you're going to look very closely at the whole Bible, more often than not, I'm going to say north of 95% of the time in the Bible, when God does a miracle, rarely does God create something out of thin air to do the miracle. He does do it, but it's, it's, it's rare. About 95% of the time, if you're going to look at the miracles of the Bible, New and Old Testament, God uses what is already available. I can give you story after story in the Old Testament. I'll just give you a couple real quick. The real famous guy named Moses in the book of Exodus, second book of the Bible, and, and he's trying to, God wants to use him to free all the Jewish people. There's about three million of them. From, they've been enslaved uh, in Egypt. And God, and Moses is saying, God, I can't do it. I'm not, I'm not educated. I'm not, I can't do it. And God says, yeah, but what do you have in your hand? And Moses says, well, I have a stick. 
it was a shepherd's staff. It was something, uh, kind of a tool that the shepherds would use guarding their sheep. And God says, it's a stick, I'll use that. I was reading in my personal time this week uh, about a, a prophet in the Old Testament in 2 Kings named Elisha. And there was a woman that says, listen, I'm in debt and the, the debtors are going to come and take away my two sons to be slaves and pay off the debt. And I don't have the money. And so what should I do? And notice Elisha doesn't say, well, yeah, I don't know. We really got to pray for just something out of the order. No, he says, what do you have? She says, I have a small flask with just a little bit of oil left, olive oil and that's all I have. And Elisha says, go get as many jars as you can and begin pouring out the olive oil. And, as, and it says she asked all of her neighbors, all of her friends, and every jar, every vessel that was available was full to the brim, it says, with oil. And then Elisha says, go sell all of it and pay off your debt. Notice he uses what is already available. Could there be something in your life that you think is insignificant that God sees as significant? Could there be something in your life that you, well, God could never use. I'm ashamed of this. I'm ashamed of what of this thing that is holding me back. I, God could never use this. He could never use that. And God's saying that's the very thing that I want to use to impact your life and those around you. The New Testament says in, in 2 Corinthians that, that God uses the, the foolish things of our culture to confound the wise. Could there be something in your life that God could never, I mean, I don't really, it's not really a talent, I'm not really that good at this, or this thing that I have, and God's saying, if you'll give it to me, I'll multiply it. What is in your hands will never be enough. But when you give it in God's hands, it is always more than enough. And so sometimes we go, well, God could never use this. Like, like as if your life is a garage sale. You're just, well, I'll give you a nickel for it, God. It's really not useless. You know, it's an old Doobie Brothers cassette tape. Even if you, I mean, I don't know how many people listen to Doobie Brothers cassette tape. But I don't know where, why my brain went there. But it did. But, but God, I just, I don't know. I got this stroller that's missing a wheel. It's not good. But, man, I just, no. You quit looking at your your life that way and the things that God has put in your life and start saying, God, I know no one else can make anything of it, but God, if anyone can, it's you. And God, it might be insignificant to me and other people, but God, it's not enough in my hand, but in your hand, it's more than enough. That's the attitude we need when we come to God in prayer. That's the attitude that Jesus wants. I believe this. I heard a pastor say this a long time ago. The miracle is already in the house. I believe that. Could it be the thing that you're praying for right now in your life? It's already in your life. It's already in the house. Could it be the thing that's going to take you to the next level, the thing that whatever, it's already there. But you're overlooking it because you think it's insignificant. That shame, that hurt, that pain. The thing that you think, I get made fun of for this. And Listen, I bet there were people, maybe even the disciples, making fun of this little boy's meal. And Jesus says, I'll use it. Don't limit an unlimited God. Why? Because he'll multiply whatever you give him. And here's what's interesting. I shared this a few weeks ago. It's several years ago, my wife and I uh, planted pumpkins. I don't know why. We just thought, oh, let's plant pumpkins. It's not like we eat pumpkins. We just, let's just plant pumpkins. And so we did. And, and it, was, it was a nightmare, to be honest with you, because there's so many vines and so many pumpkins. And so a few years ago, we were considering making another garden. And trying to learn from our mistakes. And we thought, well, it's watermelons. We can eat watermelons. That's what people do. We can eat watermelons. And so let's, let's think about that. So we did some research. One watermelon seed that you can buy, one watermelon seed when you put it in the ground, will produce anywhere between two 
or four actual watermelons. One seed produces two to four watermelons. You think that's good? Well, what, you know, when you cut into a watermelon, what is the thing that stands out? The seeds. You know how many seeds, depending on the, the, the variety of the, the version of the watermelon, anywhere between 200 and 800 seeds per watermelon. So think about this. When I put one seed into the ground, I am potentially going to harvest 3,200 seeds in return. Jesus said this word for word in the New Testament, and another writer says this in Luke chapter 6, verse 38. Jesus says, when you give, your gift will be returned to you, pressed down, shaken together, and overflowing. That is the mindset of God. God is not a scarcity God. He's not a, well, we'll just barely make it. No, he's a God of abundance. He's a God of more than enough. That if you'll just give me that one watermelon seed, I'll give you 3,200 in return. That's the idea. That's the theology lesson today of God. Stop thinking of God as being limited and, and, and just, he's not a God of addition. He's a God of multiplication. Now listen, this is where probably some pastors would want to take it and talk about giving and money. And, and, and let me just say this. If you hear a pastor say that if you'll just give a dollar, God will give you a ten back. That's false. Turn it off. Run away from that person. Unfollow them. That's bad. Theology. That's not true. Now listen, does God do that at times? Yes. But let's back up even farther and say, what is the heart and the motivation behind giving in the first place? My motivation for giving in the first, and I'm not talking money. I'm talking anything. My time, my talent my gifting, maybe money, whatever it is, my resources. When I'm, when I'm giving, I don't think of it, oh, it's going to come back, pressed down, shaken together and running over. I just claim that verse in the name of Jesus. Yeah, yeah, No. My motivation is like this little boy. Think about this. This little boy did not give the food to Jesus because he thought, oh, Jesus is going to feed everybody with my lunch. This is going to be great. The little boy, he didn't know that. He wasn't thinking that way. Now, the little boy understood there's a need that Jesus has, and I'll give him whatever I have. I'm not going to give him four loaves and keep one to myself. I'm not going to give him one fish and keep the other one because, hey, i got to look out for me. No, that's what our culture says. No, he says, Jesus, you have a need? There's a need for the crowd? I'll just give you what I have. Here you go. And Jesus multiplied and blessed that. Can I just tell you, in your life and in my life, we give not because we want to get something in return. I don't believe God will bless that. That's not the right motivation for giving, whatever it is you're going to give. We give because you first recognize it all belongs to your Father in heaven. Every paycheck you have really is from him. In the New Testament, a book of uh, James, who was the half-brother of Jesus, says this, that uh, every good and perfect gift is from the Father above. So I recognize my paycheck, yeah, my education, yeah, my positioning, yeah, my experience. No, no, no. It's a blessing from my Father. So I don't just give you 10% back. You own 100%. My vehicles, God, you blessed them to me. And if there's ever a need that I can meet with someone, it's not my vehicle. God, it's yours. You blessed it. I'm going to use it for you. My time. Jesus proves this because his time, I want to be away. I want to mourn the loss of my cousin. No, God, it's your time. God, you know when I'm born. You know when I'll die. Everything in between, God, is your time. So if you need me to pull away from my agenda to meet your agenda, do it. And then 
as God blesses. Maybe God does, you give a dollar, he gives you ten back, and that's great, but that's not why you give. But I think very often, at least in my life, when I do give, I don't, I don't expect anything in return, that's not why I give. But rarely is it, you know, if I give a dollar, he gives it ten back sometimes, but it's, he blesses me in other ways that money can't put a value on. And so, you know, again, I just would say that to be careful of our motivation of giving. So can I just say this as well? Stop thinking about what you don't have and start looking at who you have standing next to you in prayer and that is God Almighty creator of heaven and earth stop looking at how you're limited and stop making excuses that I don't have this and I don't have that yeah but who do you have with you standing next to you that can be unlimited and meet the need and multiply what you do have I would just say this as well I love that he multiplies what we give him but he won't multiply it if you don't give it. And then what, if we're not careful, we get very frustrated at God. God, you're not meeting my need. God, you're not helping me. You're not answering my prayer. God, I'm, I'm, still, I'm still in a tight spot. And we want to blame God for something that he's not doing. But again, God, I think sometimes it's saying, but you're not participating. You're not giving. And again, we're not talking about money. I mean, maybe that's part of it, but. So look, guys, I'll bless whatever you give me. I'll bless it. That Doobie Brothers kiss, I don't know why I go back to that. I'll bless it somehow, some way. But if you don't give it, I can't bless it. Don't get frustrated at God because he's not blessing what you're not giving. we got to be careful. And I love this. It's not about what you have that matters. It's who you give it to that matters. It's not that I have money or I have time or talent. No, no, no. It doesn't matter. It's, it's not what I have. It's who I give it to. I can have a lot of faith in politics and be disappointed. I can have a lot of faith in my career and still lose it and get fired. I can have a lot of faith in relationships and still they break my heart. But I can have the size of a mustard seed faith in Jesus, which is very, very tiny. And Jesus said that, that if I have the faith of a, and I think he's being literal there, by the way, a very small mustard seed, and I can say to a mountain, be moved, and it will be moved. Understand, it's not the size of the faith or the amount of faith that you have that matters. It's where you're putting your faith that matters. That's the point. Again, if you're, I don't know why we're, we're harping on pastors today, but if you're around someone, a Christian teacher that would say, well, you just didn't have enough faith, you turn them off, you run away from them. That's not true. That's not what Jesus says. No, Jesus says the size doesn't matter. It's where you put your faith that matters. And Jesus, here's the encouraging thing for me and you. Jesus does not say if you want a mountain to move in your life, you need a truckload of faith. You want a miracle in your life? You need a huge Grand Canyon size. No, Jesus says, you want to move mountains? I just need a little bit. I'll just use whatever you give me. And if you give me a little bit of time, talent, a little bit of faith, I'll use it and I'll multiply and I'll move mountains in your life. That's the encouraging thing. I don't have to have a lot of faith. It's where I put it. And I want to put the little faith that I have or the lot of faith, I'm going to put it in Jesus. Here's the big takeaway for all of us. It's really simple. Give God what I have. Give God what I have. Don't limit unlimited God. God will multiply what you give. Therefore, give him what you have. Your faith, your time, your talent, your money, whatever. Give it. You've been doing it on your own and it's not working out for you. Give it to him. Trust him.
What I love about this is the very end says, everybody left full. Everybody leaves full. Listen, I love that about God. That's, that's what I want for you as, as, as your pastor. My heart for you is that every day when you spend time with God, whether it's in your car or whether it's just, in, you know, at your, in your own house or wherever it is, at your at work, when you spend that time with God, whether it's a minute, five minutes, an hour, whatever, that after you've been with God, you leave it full. That's my prayer for you. That's my prayer for us every, every week when we gather here at Theater 5 at AMC in Yukon, that when we leave, we don't leave full of a great sermon or great worship. All that's good. I mean, I might leave full of donuts too, but that's another message. But I want to leave full of Jesus. I want to leave full of the Holy Spirit. I just want to leave full like, oh, my God, it's so good today. I just want to leave full. That's the heart of God. I love that it didn't say, and they fed most of them, but there were some people that had to, you know, they had to go to McDonald's to get their food. And I said, everybody was full. I mean, they were like, hey, no more. I'm stuffed. I haven't had, ate this good in a long time. There's 12 baskets left over. You know what that's like? That's like going to Thanksgiving meal with a two liter of Dr. Pepper. Dr. Pepper, as we have said, is the nectar of heaven. So that's like, that's like going to Thanksgiving. And some of us, you know, I, I'm included, maybe we can't afford Dr. Pepper, especially with inflation, so we got to settle for the Sam's Club or the, or the great value brand Dr. Thunder, right? Where are my Dr. Thunder people at? And so we got to, and so could you imagine going to Thanksgiving dinner with Dr. Thunder? But you leave with a semi-truck full of leftover food that's just delicious. I mean, that's kind of what, in a way, is going on here. This, this kid had his meal either just for him for the next couple of days or for his whole family for that day. They just live day to day, and yet they leave with 12 baskets. But we're not talking little baskets from Hobbit. We're talking basket, big basket, leftovers. He doesn't need a lot. He just needs what you already have to give him. What I think is, is interesting as well is that God sees significance in our insignificance. and He just needs whatever you have. What's interesting as well when you read the other account of this, again, it's mentioned in all four of the accounts of the life of Jesus, but in the account of the other disciple that was there as an eyewitness, his name was John. And John was one of the closest. Jesus had three disciples that were really close. I mean, like his inner, inner circle, and John was one of them. And before and after, if you read John's account of this, before this miracle and after this miracle, John records that Jesus, as he's been teaching and preaching, has been saying a lot, I am the bread of life. Now, to you and I today, that sounds weird. But in that day, they understood bread was life. And we Everything is with bread. And, I mean, bread just makes the meal. And without bread, it's not a meal. And and who just wants to eat raw fish? That's gross. And so we got to have something. To, I mean, bread's everything. And it filled them up. It nourished them. It strengthened. It revived them. And Jesus is talking to these people. And, and he's saying, that's what I want to do for your life every day. I want to fill you. I want to nourish you. I want to strengthen you. I want to revive you when you're weak. I am the bread. And it's not a coincidence that in the middle of him teaching about him being the bread of life, there's 12 baskets of bread, not fish, bread left over. Jesus says, you'll never run out. When you give me your life, when you give me what you have, you'll never run out. You're going to have leftovers. 
And as well, later on, the same guy, Matthew, that we've been looking at in chapter 26, the night before Jesus' execution on the cross, he's having his last meal with his disciples. It was kind of a closed-door session, so there's just the, the 12 disciples there. And Jesus, they're, they're celebrating a Jewish meal that celebrates and remembers their freedom from Egypt that we talked about earlier, that they were slaves, but now they're free, kind of like what we do at Fourth of July, you kind of think of that. But the meal was very ceremoniously, and, and so there's, there's ceremony, and there was kind of an order to the meal. And Jesus takes the bread, the same type of bread. It's not a loaf. It's a small, about four inches with about a half an inch. And, and Jesus takes it, and he says, this bread symbolizes my body, which is broken for you. Take and eat. Again, going back to Matthew 14. You know what Jesus says? My body is broken, so yours doesn't have to be. I will be broken with your sin. I'll be broken with your shame, with your hurt, with your pain. I'll be broken so you can be made whole and be re renewed and nourished and strengthened. But there is a catch. Jesus says, take and eat. In other words, it doesn't do any good to hold the broken bread in your hand. You have to internalize it. It does no good to just come to church and hear a great message and, and just, you know, you've got to internalize, we would say, a relationship with Jesus. You want to be whole and you're tired of being broken? He's broken so you don't have to be. But it's no, it won't work unless you give it to him. And all day we've been talking about giving your time, your talent, your faith, your money, whatever. The greatest thing you can give is your life. Everything. God, I give it all to you. I want a relationship with you. I want to be full. I want to be refreshed. I want you to be broken so I can be made whole. And I want to give you that opportunity. Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for the truth of your word of Matthew 14. This wasn't just some fictitious thing. This really happened. We thank you for all the symbolism and, and just the, the power that this teaches us to not limit an unlimited God because, God, you multiply whatever we give you. And God, teach us to give you whatever. Whatever that is, if, if we have a relationship with you already, then maybe you've been nudging us the thing that we think is insignificant that you could never use. That's the thing you're looking at. Say, just give it to me. And you multiply it and you bless it. Help us to not overlook the very thing that you could be looking at in our life, but to give it freely. Because freely you gave it to us. And Father, I pray for those that would be here that before they can get to that level that they would want to give you the greatest of all, even greater than time, talent, money, faith, is their heart, their life to a relationship with you. And if that's you, as we're all praying right now, but if that's you and you just say, I want to give my life to Jesus. I want a relationship with him. Look, we're not asking you to join our church or find religion. No, we want to give you an opportunity to have your life changed by the one that if you would just simply raise your hand, that's all you need to do. You don't have to stand up or come to the front. Just right where you're at, just right now. Everybody, we're praying. 
But right now, if you just raise your hand and say, yeah, I want to give my life to Jesus, we'd just love to pray with you. If you just raise your hand. Thank you. Thank you. Let's all say this prayer together. Jesus, thank you for loving me. I believe you're God's son. I believe you died on the cross and rose again for me. Forgive me of my sins. 